chapter six of policy and passion this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. policy and passion by rosa campbell prayed chapter six you must marry honoria longleat early the next morning barrington and tom dungie left kooya the former was mounted upon one of lord dolph's hacks while dungie rode the little piebald which he frequently apostrophized in terms admonitory or admiring he carried his mail-bag strapped in front of his saddle and drove before him the pack-horse which bore barrington's luggage conveniently disposed into canvas bags for some miles the road led through a semi-cultivated locality beside portions of uncleared forest alternating with paddocks where browsed the lean kine that supplied kooya with milk and butter past bush homesteads where children clustered round the log doorsteps and shouted at the sight of strangers by fields of yellow maize and plantations of cotton in which the flakes of down had just burst their brown pods till at last the trees almost met over the narrow track even the public houses ceased and the last log hut that marked the bounds of human habitation for miles to come had been left behind now barrington felt himself to be in the bush this forest solitude filled with the incessant chirp of locusts the winging of butterflies and rustling of the tall dry grass the monotonous hoo 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 of the wonga pigeon and shrill screech of the jackass was quite unfamiliar to the englishman whose rambles had never before extended beyond the boundaries of europe tom dungie rode at a jog-trot which covered the ground quickly and was not distressing to man or beast the mailman was a garrulous little creature and when he was not talking to his companion addressed a disjointed soliloquy to his horse now then stupid hain't yer learnt the track yet well you air an old umbug you air can't you tell a log when yer sees one now then hurry along stir your stumps we got to be at cool bin to-night i dare say that you find cooler bin a pleasant stopping-place at barrington already identifying the name with miss longleat i don't know that it ain't a little better nor some others said tom critically i'm took into the kitchen instead o being set to the huts but the glass of grog ain't as reg'lar as might be it depends mostly on what i bring leastways on what i has for miss longleat how is that asked barrington she comes down to the crossing sometimes when i'm pretty early and takes the mail-bag herself and then i stands and watches her open her letters lor i can tell by the handwriting if they're from her sweethearts if i happens to have a book or summit of that sort from mr dyson maddox it is tom says she i dare say you're tired ask mrs ferris for a glass of rum or if i hain't got nothing pertickler tom she says what's the news derabaway and so on gradual like to baramunda my word they're sharp creatures women it ain't every one as knows how to take em you hain't seen her yet have you 
no replied barrington she's awful handsome but bless you i don't take no account on her some men are funky upon speaking to her i've seen gents as didn't know what to say when they looked at her struck all of a heap like but women is like osses them as don't understand em is most afeard on em the narrowness of the track which now wound among large boulders of rock and was strewn with loose stones compelled them to ride single file they were descending a high range which commanded a view of the adjacent country half-way down dungie paused at a little stream overshadowed by the glossy boughs and crimson flowers of the chestnut and discoursed while he let his horse drink yonder is the koorong crag said he pointing to a mountain which rose upon their right it had all the glory of inaccessibility its turret-like summit surmounted a deep precipice of bare rock which could be climbed by no man its base was clothed with bluish-green foliage against which the light stems of a group of white gum-trees in the foreground stood out in vivid contrast our black fellows say that the double devil lives up there continued dungie i've heard tell that a long time ago the rocks were covered with creepers and that one of the first white settlers in the district managed to climb to the top of the mountain by holding on to them he made a fire upon the highest point but a wind rose and the flames spread and burned all the creepers his bones lie bleaching up there now they rode on till they reached a gorge dividing two hills the pack-horse well accustomed to the narrow track worn along the steep slope trotted in front occasionally stopping to nibble the tender shoots of the young tie-trees while barrington followed the postman who would every now and then turn his head with an evident distrust of english horsemanship upon their right sloped the rocky bank of the hill they were skirting cairns of grey volcanic-looking stones piled by nature's hand and overgrown with rank grass and creeping indigo necessitated frequent deviations charred logs the remains of bush-fires lay across the path the thick underwood grew dense on each side flowering parasites hung from the branches overhead and binds of the crimson canidia trailed into the streamlet that flowed at the foot of the two hills in places the rivulet glided gently over flat stones worn smooth by its course here and there it tumbled in a miniature cascade over the trunk of a fallen tree and now lay in pools still and stagnant with iridescent gleams upon its surface beneath overhanging fronds of fern to the left of the riders the opposite hill rose almost perpendicularly high above their heads firs clung to the rocky soil and native jessamine and waxen hoya shed their fragrance in the air the sharp wit of the whipbird and the footfalls of the horses echoed through the gorge with startling distinctness the solitude was intense neither aboriginal nor beast was to be seen prowling about this mountain fastness only every now and then a rustling of dry leaves would attract attention and the sharp head of a wallaby might be observed protruding from behind some jagged rock and disappearing in an instant at length they emerged from the ravine and mounted to the highest point of the range which bounded the koorong district 
below them the country stretched in smooth plains and undulating ridges and beyond lay a succession of mountains like distant rolling waves with here and there a more prominent peak catching the sun's reflection upon its stony sides and standing out in vivid contrast to the shadowy purple of the lower and further hills stop a moment said barrington pausing and involuntarily raising his hat beauty of nature or of art was a powerful agent in stirring his senses to a pitch of excitement hardly warranted by his self-contained exterior as a boy he had sometimes lain down and wept at the sudden sight of a fine landscape and his pulses had tingled with keen emotion while he stood before a beautiful statue or a lovely pictured face there is a poetic quasi-intellectual passion which in some natures is hardly less potent than that aroused by wine or women dungie checked his horse and regarded his companion with reflective curiosity pretty ain't it said he with something of the pride of proprietorship there ain't any district in leichardt's land as beats the coorong for scenery mountains and such like to be sure the grass is not to be remarked for overfattening he added with a sigh but where there's big bones there ain't often sweet flesh old anthony ferris coolrobin way he do go almost cracked over them rocks i've heard him screeching out his bits of poetry till i thought him ripe for woogaroo madhouse longleat is pretty smart about the men he employs but what made him take old ferris for his storekeeper beats the folks up here hollow yon is the dividing range between this colony and new south wales Corobin lays there indicating an extensive timbered tract that stretched eastward beneath the mountains we are close upon diraba now and that's my place again the creek it's a bit dull sometimes but the mail keeps me running i've only seen three females on my selection since i took it up four years last november one was the girl from barramunda as rode down with the stockman one sunday afternoon t'other was my lady she were a-lookin for the strawberry cow as got bogged in the creek and t'other here dungie paused and silently ruminated for several minutes and who was the third asked barrington twere miss mccutcheon replied dungie laconically now then get along you old stupid you've seen this air view often enough before presently the mailman halted at a round water-hole fringed with bladed grass and overshadowed by the gnarled branches of a giant eucalyptus globulus here dungie dismounted stooped down and pushed aside the lily leaves which floated on the surface of the pool washed his face and hands and deliberately assumed a rusty black alpaca coat his appearance was so comical and his gravity so portentous that barrington laughingly asked him the reason of these preparations i knows my drawbacks said dungie i ain't much to look at but respect goes a long way butter don't come no quicker for fast churning with this pregnant remark dungie's garrulity suddenly abated and he scarcely uttered a word till they had reached a log hut built in a cleared bit of scrub and surrounded by a rude stockade within which grew some lank 
peach trees and straggling cabbage plants just outside the hut a young woman stood busily engaged over her wash-tub she was extremely tall and of rich colouring with high cheekbones and abundant dark hair miss mccutcheon for it was she looked up as the mailman approached wiped the soapsuds from her hands and arms and nodded have ye got anything for me to-day mr dungy said she dungy leaving barrington outside the railings dismounted from his horse and presented her with a well-thumbed envelope my sentiments is in there said he with whining gravity there's a year's mail contract to run and then i'm a-goin to settle down on the selection miss mccutcheon took the letter reddened and thrust it into the pocket of her gown get along with you and your stupid valentines she cried you should buy a speaking parrot to make your soft speeches for you dress him up in your sunday coat and no one would know the difference i ain't the sort of woman to be running second to a mail contract you'd best be getting on your way or you'll be late at coolrobin to-night and she obstinately resumed the scrubbing of a pair of moleskins dungy meekly retreated remounted his pony and rode off by barrington's side for some time he maintained silence then remarked with a deep sigh she's a fine young woman to look at i've had my eye upon her for four year i'm pretty sure what she's made of but i ain't a-goin to give up my mail contract no not for her that's the odds atween us when they had ridden out of sight of the hut, Dungy came to another standstill, took off his rusty coat, re-strapped it in his valise, and pursued his way more cheerfully. The influence of Miss McCutcheon's presence removed, loquacity returned to him, and he expatiated freely upon the beauties of the scenery and the population of the Koorong district, till the paddock fence of Diraba came in sight a narrow creek wound round the rise upon which the house was built and to barrington's surprise was crossed by such a rustic bridge as might have spanned the ornamental water of a gentleman's park in england near the bridge sloping down to the water there was an artificial rockery the prim elegance of which contrasted strangely with the wildness of forest and desolation of mountains that characterized the scene instead of riding over the bridge the postman made a round to the crossing where the water reached to his stirrups he do set store on them bits of planks and tree stumps does lord dolph said dungy contemptuously the next flood in the coorong'll carry them all away for my part i like what's in nature better nor what's out of it and the little piebald is far too cute to trust her legs on that english falderal Diraba lay at the foot of a rugged hill which overshadowed the house and was the joy of Lord Dolph's heart and the despair of that of his stock-rider. The dwelling-house, a four-roomed hut, was built of slabs and roofed with bark. Two sides were shaded by a veranda supported by rough saplings, round which twined native clematis and scrub-creepers. 
the floor of the veranda was of mud a fernery was in course of construction against the walls and two fine plants of the staghorn variety flourished on each side of the doorway a crimson double geranium bloomed by a veranda post and verbenas flowered at the sills of the unglazed windows behind the house a dense smoke obscured the outbuildings that's my lady makin a spree amongst the rubbish remarked dungie and presently they came in sight of lady dolph herself who with her cotton gown tucked up over her linsey petticoat was busy picking up sticks which she threw upon the pile she was a comely little body with a round rosy face bright grey eyes light hair and eyebrows and a trim waist as soon as barrington appeared on the scene she exploded in a fit of giggling threw down her sticks and ran into the hut where she presently emerged with a fair-haired boyish-looking man who was smoking a short pipe and wore his shirt-sleeves tucked up over a pair of blue-veined arms that barrington had last seen uncovered on the river below eton they had roughened considerably since then and the good-looking aristocratic face was sunburnt and hairy nevertheless there was in the youth's whole appearance an unmistakable air of refinement quite out of keeping with his surroundings adolphus bassett the seventh son of an impoverished peer having shown small aptitude for the clerical profession for which he had been intended had upon his father's death emigrated to australia where he had employed his small patrimony in the purchase and stocking of diraba and had married maggie the daughter of one lamb a squatter on the coorong she made him an excellent wife managed the few score of cattle which daraba maintained rode as colonial women do ride displayed considerable culinary skill and was tenacious of her dignity claiming her title even when she was engaged in salting beef and such other unrefined occupations lord dolph shook hands heartily with barrington who had by this time dismounted hallo so you have turned up i am delighted to see you we didn't half expect you to-day most fellows get funked over the short cut but dungie is a capital pioneer you can't go wrong if you follow the little piebald she's a rare one isn't she tom i say this don't put you much in mind of headington eh barrington smiled lord dolph laughed and maggie giggled let me introduce you to my wife said dolph we were having a go at the rubbish heap come if this doesn't bang europe as maggie would say i'm blessed it's the tyrol with perpetual vegetation did you notice my bridge i modelled it after the one at headington you must come out presently and see the yards we are setting up pigs i shall make no end of money out of my porkers the selectors buy em we're thorough bush people here i go in for roughing it like one o'clock it's not half bad fun and there's excellent duck shooting down the creek come inside and we'll open the post bag i believe there's an english mail due lady dolph with one shoulder awkwardly raised above the other led the way into the sitting-room which was pretty enough though the walls were only canvassed and daylight might be seen between any two of the outer slabs which stood apart as though they had not been introduced to one another there was a curious application of english aestheticism to the rude arrangements and home-made furniture of the australian bush the wide fireplace was surmounted by an 
artistic erection of polished cedar crimson paper and blue china plates roughly carved brackets supported pots of dulton and valoris ware engravings after angelica kaufman and bartolozzi that might have been filched from the headington corridors and photographs of familiar english and foreign scenes lined the walls the canvas chairs were adorned with cruel work done by lord dolph's sisters an opossum rug lay before the hearth beneath the window stood a pine writing-table furnished with equipments of oxidized silver a grand piano filled up one side of the room and was littered with music lord dolph with boyish pride in a new toy ran his fingers over the keys and trolled forth in a fine tenor one of sullivan's songs is it not a beauty he cried there's not another instrument like it in leichardt's land headington sent it to me for a wedding present we had a rare piece of work getting it across the creeks maggie said she'd rather have had the money to spend on bulls but she likes it better now that i've taught her to sing duets with me she has as nice a voice as there is in the district except old ferris's daughters poor little girl why do you pity her asked barrington lord dolph touched his forehead significantly and went on playing it's in the family he added the old man is as mad as a hatter a snarling discontented creature longleat's storekeeper it's a mystery to me how he got the situation there's a wife for a settler he whispered enthusiastically directing barrington's glance towards maggie who was sorting out the letters that had just arrived hand them over old girl i wish you'd take out this note i've written to miss longleat and give it to dungie maggie departed lord dolph rose from the piano stretched himself and looked with a sort of sheepish inquiry at his guest i dare say you are thinking that she wouldn't suit marble halls dukes and duchesses and that sort of thing he said but bless you she'd go down splendidly if i were to take her home she is unaffectedly charming said barrington with more hardiness than he felt i congratulate you really now i'm glad you like her though i detest the notion that a man's wife like his horse must be subject to the criticism of his friends i suppose that you saw my people before you left england lord headington went down with me to southampton he was very kind but i saw none of the others he is a rare old sort is headington said lord dolph in a constrained tone didn't sir lionel see you off no lionel and i never pulled over well together he is a prig and my mother leads him by the nose his wife is a fool i think she would have taken my part if she dared i disliked her and she was sorry for me in my trouble my mother whom i worshipped was hard as a stone i say said lord dolph i heard about your mess i'm awfully sorry for it it's no use beating about the bush my mother keeps me pretty well up in what's going on i suppose said barrington looking at lord dolph without blenching that she told you how i had left the guards i heard there had been a row she wrote me some particulars women are never very clear in matters of detail your mother and mine are old friends they have thoroughly discussed my iniquities you have had your information direct from headquarters and i have no doubt that it is correct said barrington bitterly look here dolph the hardest cut i've ever had was my mother's conduct in that affair you know what she is how cold and yet how fascinating the head of the family is her god if i had been the eldest son i should have been immaculate i have always felt that she might have done with me what she chose i hated the idea of coming out here 
when she urged it when she seemed anxious to get rid of me i had no heart to resist now that i am here i don't know what i shall do do you think that i am the stuff to make a settler emphatically no said lord dolph you would have to take up new country drive cattle explore and that sort of thing you wouldn't stand it then there is a poor prospect before me i may trust you your family has always been staunch to me my brother allows me one hundred and fifty pounds a year otherwise i have nothing what can i do why cried lord dolph with his frank hearty laugh maggie and i settled that when we heard that you were coming you must marry honoria longleat and become the owner of the great tarangella tin mine End of chapter six